and you're very welcome to another episode of the Life Well Live podcast. My name is Shane Breslin. The mission of this podcast is to bring you conversations and interviews with great people from all over the world about navigating the challenges of 21st century life, how we might explore and embrace our own absolute uniqueness, and how we might build on that to live lives of energy, purpose, and fulfillment. My guest on this episode is TK Cater, a US-based entrepreneur, investor, and author. TK has worked with some of the most respected companies and investors in the world. He spent time with Ray Dalio's world-renowned finance firm, Bridgewater. He later founded the Tout app, which was sold to Marketo, which was in turn sold to Adobe in a multi-billion dollar deal. Well, all that is hugely commendable, and we go through that journey in this conversation. Where TK really started to grab my attention this year was with his video content talking about professional burnout and strategies to manage and limit burnout in our lives. I've taken to call burnout work depression because the hallmarks are so similar and I'm interested always in anyone who approaches these challenges of living and working in the 21st century in innovative ways. That work has led TK Cater to Unstoppable, his company which helps entrepreneurs, startup founders, business owners and executives to lead more proactive lives in alignment with their core values. He's a really interesting guy and I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation where we talked about the difference between a side business and a hobby, how the word happiness has been ruined, he says, what the three components of being a good leader might be, how 30 minutes well invested on a Sunday can set you up for a powerful week and why so many people are lost, lonely and disconnected and how we might take a proactive approach to dealing with that. So on with the show and this interview with entrepreneur, investor, author, and the founder of Unstoppable Sundays, TK Cater. TK, it's great to have you on the show. Hey, thanks for having me here. I'm super pumped to be here. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to, to exploring this. Give us a sense of, uh, of who TK Cater is. What's, what's your background? Where do you come from? Yeah, uh, I've been an entrepreneur for most of my life. I started a company called ToutApp. Uh, we sold it to a market leader called Marketo. I was their senior vice president of strategy. Uh, we recently sold Marketo to Adobe. Um, and after that, decided it was time for a change. And so now I run this movement called Unstoppable. It helps startup founders create a strategy for their life first and then their business uh, so that they uh, live more proactive lives the whole theory behind what we do is that better run entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs that run their personal lives better, tend to build better businesses. And so we help them do that at Unstoppable. Sound, sounds great. And we'll get into that in a lot more detail. Um, so you, 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 whizzed, you whizzed over your, your fairly extensive background um, nice, and, nice and quickly there. But I, I'd, like, I'd like to delve into it a little bit more because I know that as well as, as, well as ToutApp and as well as your time in Marketo, um, you spent some time at Ray Dalio's company, Bridgewater also. So yeah. you, you've, you've, seen, you've, you've seen different very successful companies, both from a start, starting them yourself, um, selling your companies into other companies, and working with the likes of Bridgewater in completely different industries and completely at different, different um, geographical areas of the US as well. When you reflect on, on that, was, how, how did you approach all those opportunities? As much as I'd love to say that I like, mapped all this out, Honestly, part of it is luck and part of it is just always looking for the next challenge and the next adventure. Uh, it was only two months ago, uh, I was writing, I had to write a bio and I absolutely hate writing bios. It's like the hardest thing to do, you know, like so awkward. And 
uh, I, I like, you know, you can only look back and connect the dots. That's the saying. And there was a moment where I was like, oh, wow, I worked at the best hedge fund in the world. That was Bridgewater by Ray Dalio. Taudat was backed by one of the best venture capital firms in the world. That's Andreessen Horowitz. So I worked with them. And Marketo, which is where I worked because they bought my company, they were owned by the, one of the best private equity firms in the world, and that's Vista. And so Bridgewater and Recent Horowitz Vista, like I've worked with or worked at all three of those. There's no way you can like plan for those kind of things, honestly. Uh, the only thing I can say is I was constantly looking for, all right, how do I grow? What's my next thing? And how do I figure out like who I want to be, especially through my 20s? And that took me through that incredible journey. Yes, I, I, I totally get the fact that you, you can't, it's very, very difficult to plan these out. Um, but e- equally, I'm sure there were, there were somewhere close to a million things that you could have done uh, differently and, and th- that you ended up taking, following this path. How did you approach those opportunities? How do, how do you weigh up an opportunity? When an opportunity comes to you and you have to make a decision, to, you have to go you know, path A or path B, um, yeah. how, how do you weigh that up? You know, I, I would say two things, and it's a great question. Um, the first one, and this is something I re- learned at Bridgewater, and you know, if you read Ray Dalio's book or you look, look up Bridgewater, they mm. pride themselves in being contrarians. And I've always been a contrarian, and so I always look for the unique opportunity, the one with upside, maybe not as popular of an opportunity. And so the way I ended up in Bridgewater was actually I sold my first company that I started in college. I was working at a Silicon Valley company that bought us right after college, like right after we graduated. And then it was pretty clear, like the project I was working on was going to get that, that company sold. So they're going to get bought. It's fine. I was looking for my next thing because I was kind of done with the Valley. I wasn't into B2C companies and Bridgewater came knocking and they're like, Hey, we'd love to have you come in for an interview. Oh, and by the way, we're on the East coast. We're not a tech startup. Um, we're in Westport, Connecticut, but we'll fly you out here. We'll pick you up from the airport. Like, are you in? And that was a very contrarian move because I was like, I'm in Silicon Valley and I'm a software engineer. Like this makes, this is dumb. This makes no sense. But it was so compelling to me and Bridgewater was so different. I was like, I've got to be here because I bet I can learn a lot. So making contrarian bets has often paid, paid off for me. And that's been, um, I've been very thankful for that. So that's number one. The second is um, sometimes uh, people that you'll always, I have always had people in my career that took a giant bet on me and told me to go do something that even I didn't feel prepared for. Uh, it, it was like the time when um, Steve Lucas, who was the CEO of Marketo, uh, he acquired my company. I started re- reporting to him. Amazing guy. He's one of those guys that just took massive bets on me in my career. And one of them was, he was like, hey, we need you to go run Europe. And I'm like, yeah, sure, like Europe. <laughs> and it, on one hand, I'm, I'm like, I have never run Europe. On the other hand, I'm like, this is an incredible opportunity. And so a lot of times you get that in life and you have someone betting on you and the best that you can do is just say, all right, what are all the things I need to do to succeed, move ahead and also like make this person that bet on me also like make it pay off for them and you just get to work. And no matter how scary the situation, no matter how bad it is or no matter how much you feel ill-equipped to deal with it, you run to the fire. 
And uh, every single time I've done that in my career, uh, it has paid off in dividends. And so, and I think part of it is just looking for that, like keeping your eyes open for that and keeping your, um, being, being open to those kind of opportunities and just saying yes. And saying, okay, I'll, I'll figure this out. I don't know, but this is a golden opportunity. Crazy that's being offered. I'm going to go figure this out and go dominate. And between those two, the contrarian bets and really lucky opportunities because someone really believed in you. Uh, and that's happened countless times in my career. There's specific people that really bet on me. I have no idea why. I was like, I can't let them down. I'm going to go dominate. Run to the fire. I, I, I love that. It's something like the, the, the Ryan Holiday, The Obstacle is the Way, his, uh, his book mm. about the, seeking out the obstacles, that the obstacle is the way. Yeah, we need, totally. We need to go that direction. So do you think about the risk element of, uh, of that decision when you have the, you know, the opportunity? Do, do, you, do you think of what you're saying no to as well as what you're saying yes to? Or are you just kind of in the flow of that, that, that decision in that moment? I think it's, uh, it's a little bit of an equation that runs through my mind. And the way I break it down is uh, how risky is it? That's number one. Um, number two is how big's the reward if we do pull it off? And number three is is there an opportunity cost to doing this? What I found, and I coach a lot of people through this, uh, the like entrepreneurs that I advise and friends that I have that come to me and colleagues that I've talked to, a lot of people I find over-index on just the risk. They're like, oh, it's really risky. And, but it's like your nine to five job is risky. You could go do that for 10 years and then realize it's been automated away and that's huge risk. So I look for, is there high risk and high reward? Because Sure, it might be risky, but man, if you pull it off, how great would that be? Like, it would be amazing. And so I always look for that. And then I ask myself, like, okay, if I pull this off and I get this reward, is there another like thing that's right in front of me that might be easier that would give me the same reward? So lower risk, but just as high reward. And then you kind of decide from there. And that's kind of the, I didn't quite know how to articulate that risk, reward, and opportunity cost. But that's how I've like kind of done it by gut in my 20s. And in my 30s, I'm 36 now, as the stakes are higher and there's bigger things at play, I, I codified it into those three things. And it served me well so far. Um, and and I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. And that's what I teach others to do. So when we look at the at the just to give people a sense of kind of what, what you were doing uh, and what your focus was on. Um, and if we look at the, the three big ones, I suppose, ToutApp, which you started, and yeah. Marketo, which uh, acquired ToutApp, um, and your time at, Prince, uh, your time at uh, Bridgewater um, with, with the Ray Dalio company. Um, what, if, if you could give a quick sense of kind of like, you know, what, what those the three really different companies, um, what, <laughs> what, what those three companies kind of focused on and what you were focusing on within them, if you could. Um, I would say the Bridgewater journey and the Taudap journey were all about the, the part of me that's a builder and at least half of the Taudap journey. So Bridgewater, we were building out a custom trading application for the traders to use. And so uh, and it was all about efficiency and productivity. Uh, Taudap ended up being all about efficiency and productivity, except instead of traders, which are a type of salespeople, we wanted to build it for all salespeople. We were scaling, we raised our series B and we were scaling the company. At the time we sold, we were about a $7 million run rate company. 
And I took it from zero in my second bedroom apartment as a solo founder. And that for that, I had to transition to like TK the leader instead of TK the builder. And so when we sold the company into Marketo, that was like all about TK the leader. Uh, I ended up running strategy for the company. We did M&A. I ran Europe and then I ran Australia. That was all like, how do you be a great leader and lead the charge and have a clear strategy? Um, and I, I've always found that if you can get in the middle of tech, like building and being leadership and you embrace, truly embrace both, you become unstoppable. Uh, and that's what I've always tried to do uh, in, in, in all those roles. I, w- I want to come back to leadership um, in a second. Um, but be- before, before I do, just a question about, about entrepreneurship. Um, and, you, and I think I read somewhere that you, you've effectively been uh, entre- an entrepreneur since, since your teens. You, you've been building things and you know, tr- selling them, growing them since, since, since your teens. Um, h- how... In, in that kind of couple of decades of experience of what entrepreneurship is, what have you learned about entrepreneurship? What, what is, how would you define entrepreneurship and, and how, I suppose, has it changed in those two decades and even from what went before? Yeah, it, I, the best, defi- you're, you're totally right. Like I sold my first thing when I was like 12 or something like that. <laughs> uh, uh, I think that the best definition I've found of entrepreneurship is, it's the moment when someone takes on significant risk. And I don't think that's changed. Like, like the moment you decide that I'm going to quit my job or I'm going to forego my nights out on weekends or on Thursday happy hours, and I'm going to go put in my time into this thing. I'm going to put my name on it. I'm going to put it out there. I'm going to look people in the eye and say, I'm going to go solve this problem for you. Give me some money and I'll do it that you're taking on significant amounts of risk and that's the moment you become a true entrepreneur. I think that resonates with me because back when I was 12, the first thing I made money on was I built a little search engine for MFC programmers, completely esoteric Microsoft foundation classes that like helps you build stuff in windows in an easier way than C And I was like, there's not enough resources for us. I'm just going to collect all of them and make it easy to find. And people would be able to uh, click on the top five MFC books in addition to all the other resources. They clicked on the book and bought the book on Amazon. I would get money. And that's how like, I started getting checks for that. Um, and it was, that's it. Like, that's the essence of it. And I don't think that's changed. Um, I think it's easier than ever for someone to claim that they are an entrepreneur I think the glamorous lifestyle of an entrepreneur tells a huge lie that is a disservice to a lot of people. I think there are a lot of entrepreneurs that are only good at making money by teaching other people to be entrepreneurs. Uh, and they're like, I'm going to teach you how to get rich really quick in two weeks by this one system that made me millions. And the only thing they've ever done is teach other people that the system, which doesn't really work. Uh, and, and so, there's a lot of disservice there, which is why I go to entrepreneurship is simple to me. It's when you take on risk and you put your name on it and you serve a person and you exchange value. Um, that's what entrepreneurship is to me. And it's so beautiful. Like when it works and it's great, it's the, the, you grow, the people around you grow, everyone thrives. It, it's the most rewarding thing I've ever done in my life. 
every time I go onto YouTube, every two out of every three ads I see is the guy who says he, he wants 60 seconds of my time because he's going to show me how to make $3,000 a month, $5,000 a month, $10,000 a month. And it's, there, yeah. there seems to be a script and a template for, for these guys who are showing other people. They're making money by showing other people how to make money. So that makes, that makes a lot of sense to me. And it's good to hear that view because that view feels right to me. Um, There's well, a little bit of like, hey, man, why aren't you a billionaire yet then? Like, I don't understand. Why, what are you doing on Instagram DMing me? I don't understand. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah, totally, invite, totally. invite me to your super yacht. Then we can talk. Like, I really want your secrets. Like, <laughs> what are you doing here? Yeah, absolutely. It's um, and what what would you say? So I love the definition of entrepreneurship. But what what would you say to somebody? And I, I'm when I say somebody that this is I mean being a little bit selfish here, but I think people listening will will recognize it too. Um, yeah. somebody who is is sort of hedging. Um, so so what what my my project is, and if if I am going to be selfish, let's talk about it. Let's actually be open about it. Um, my project is the 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 life while I live project, which is. It's all about how, like, you know, navigating the challenges of life and how we overcome those challenges and, you know, explore, uh, embrace, and express our own individuality so that we can live a life of energy, purpose, and, and happiness. That, that, in a nutshell, is what this project is all about. Um, and it's growing quite slowly. Um, but I'm, I'm still spending three, four days every week with my freelancing consulting business on the side. And I, I, I even hesitate to call it a business because it's, 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 it's a service that I offer for businesses to, so that I can pay bills and I can deliver some value for them in the process. Um, but what would you, I'm sure I know there are loads of people like me who maybe have an idea and maybe have a passion, but have, have not found a way yet to either go all in or to really translate that into something that is meaningful at a higher level and sustainable at a higher level. There's always this question of, what is a side project and when do I make the, take the plunge? And here's what I learned. Um, because I had to do this, like I was working at Bridgewater and after a certain point, I'm like, I need to go start another company. That's my true thing. I need to go do that. And it's like, when you do that and I saw bills to pay, it was complicated. And the one thing I know is there is never ever going to be the clouds parting and the rainbow appearing and the bridge right there. I'm like, welcome. It's time to start your business. Like it's, it just like doesn't, it doesn't work that way. And so first was like, just recognize that. Then the second was being very clear on, is this a hobby or is this a business? Hmm. And I think a lot of people struggle with that and, and answering that. So yours is a perfect example. You're doing incredible good in the world. You're passionate about it and you want to give and you want to serve. Um, and this is no knock against the idea. It's like, that sounds like a great hobby. Uh, you do your core thing, pays the bills, and then some, you build your savings, you do some investing maybe on the stock market, and you have this incredible hobby. And one of the things I think we've lost just in our lives, in our generation, like between, like, you know, I don't know how old you are, but like for people that are in their 20s, 30s right now, we lost hobbies. And hobbies are a great thing. They like make us feel fulfilled. They make us feel whole. They give us joy. And we set our own metric on what is good or bad. Like in an afternoon you spend doing an episode. If it's a hobby, it's like, I really enjoyed doing that episode. Great. You just killed it. You had a great afternoon, right? And hmm. I think that a lot of entrepreneurs with side projects who are full-time employees 
have hobbies. And I think there should be a better name for that because it almost like diminishes the fact that, oh, it's just a hobby. It's like, no, it's a great hobby. I love it. It gives me so much joy. And you should see the people that helps. I made new friends through it. It's a hobby. And so I think first question would be like, is it a hobby or a business? Because if it's a business, well, then you're not trying to fulfill yourself. You're trying to make sure that you can truly turn a dollar. Meaning your benchmark is not about, do you make yourself happy? That comes later. It's like, can you serve a specific group of people enough where they, they will give you a dollar because they value it? And once you figure that out, then you need to evaluate, well, am I enjoying and serving them and earning that dollar? And there's some sort of like overlap there. So it's what people value and you enjoy doing, hopefully. And then, it's a, then you've got a business. And the metric is totally different. I think a lot of people try to build businesses as if they're doing a hobby and that's where things go wrong. I, I love that. And th- thank you. Thank you for challenging me, number one, um, because that, that, that feels I'm, I'm taking the positives out of that and it feels like a challenge and it feels like something that, yeah, I, I, I really enjoy this. Uh, I really enjoy everything that's part of this regular email subscribers that get emails from me every week, every month. And, and I love it, but I don't, I don't want it to be just a hobby. I want it to be, cause I, I believe that I can, I can impact more people when it's not, when it's not a hobby. But, but right yep. now I think it's fair to say it, uh, that that is how I would describe it, and it's really interesting um, to hear the the word hobby because I go back going back to your your framework for um, assessing risk. I, I I have a framework for um, for business, and w- it's it's four zones, and it's based on two questions: is one, do you enjoy doing it, and two, what's the value? It's create is it creating value in the world? Uh, and the area that and it's a, it's a two by two matrix, um, but the area that that you enjoy doing and uh, isn't creating value or isn't creating sufficient value is, is the hobby zone. Um, yeah. And it, when you answer yes to those two questions, I call it the harmony zone. Um, and it's something I'm working towards elevating what I do from hobby zone to harmony zone. So it's interesting the, the commonality in what you've just said and something that I've been working on. I love that. First of all, I love, I love me a good two by two. Yeah, there's, there's two kinds of people in the world. People that just love two by twos and people are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> but like people really love, no one's like, I, they're okay. I'm okay with them. <laughs> so yeah. I, I think you're totally right. And like whether it's a harmony zone and the hobby zone and like the thing I would tie it together with what you're doing is, and this is what I get other entrepreneurs or people that are thinking about entrepreneurship to do is like, look, yeah, if you were to like the, the number of hours you're spending on it, let's just say you spend two days on it out of a week. If those two days, if, if it were flipped where you had to suit up for that and you had to like just show up into an office and get in front of a computer and you spent those two days and you treated it that like work, would your metrics, would your outcomes, would your evaluation of how you spent that time be wildly different? Because now it's a business the answer would probably like usually gets people's feelings going like, well, yeah, you're right. Like in that case, I would probably dig in and like say, all right, who is our ideal customer? How much do we want to charge? What are we selling them? How many leads are we getting? How much, how much are they converting? And then how do we serve them? Like you would look at it totally different when it's a business versus a hobby. And, mm-hmm. uh, whereas with a hobby, like, well, I just really want to get this content out and I want to see who it resonates with. I want to let it flow and hopefully we get some likes and we'll get like five subscribers out of it, right? It's so such a different thing and it'll grow over time. Both are great. 
You just got to pick which one it is. And I think people need more hobbies, first of all. They don't need more jobs. They need more hobbies because I think if they have great hobbies, they feel fulfilled, and their core jobs will go even better. Or they'll force themselves to decide, you know what? My core job really sucks. I'm going to go get another core job. And then they'll build businesses. When we talk about core, core jobs, it brings that nice segue into kind of jobs and core jobs. And, and you've, you've built businesses and you've had, you've had jobs also in, in other businesses. Um, one of the things, and actually how, I, how we came to connect in the first place um, a few weeks back, um, and I've been watching your stuff for, for quite a while, but one of the, how we came to connect was in the content you've been putting out there about, about burnout specifically. Um, and I, want, I wanted to ask you, what, what were, like, did you experience this firsthand in some of the jobs you had? Did you, did you kind of court burnout firsthand? Yeah, I did. I mean... You know, everyone always tells the last chapter of their book, right? And the last chapter of the book usually is pretty, sounds pretty great. And that's why they're like, mm -hmm. let's, end, let's end the book on this chapter. And it's pretty great. Um, my entrepreneurial journey has had tons of ups and downs. Uh, I've had health issues. I had high cholesterol. I gained 50 pounds at one point through the course of building a company. I went through a divorce. And... Um, and in, in all of those, they were all learning lessons that brought me to where I am today, where I'm happiest th that I've ever been, truly. I'm in a wonderful relationship. Uh, I have, I'm a, there's a new business I'm building. I get to work with entrepreneurs and startup founders to help them get their personal lives in order. I have a book that came out, just hit the bestseller list. So, but all those things, there were, there were like lots of twists and turns in that road. And that twists and turns in that road, one of the big things you know, when I really look back, I'm like, how did I let that happen? Like, how, how do you get to that point? Like, how did that happen? I was burnt out. And burnt out, the official definition of it, at least the one I really like, is when you have feelings of inadequacy mm -hmm. in what you're doing. And you don't feel like you're, you're capable of doing what, you, what you're supposed to be doing. And the, the feelings of inadequacy comes from just you being mentally exhausted. And I burnt out several times through the course of my entrepreneurial career. And it was to the detriment of either my personal life or my business or both. And it was only when I started to really manage for burnout. Uh, burnout isn't something you like just eradicate from your life. It's a condition that you just manage for. Uh, we're all in a way high performance athletes when you're going into building companies. It's a very tough thing to do. And so... Uh, I learned that you have to manage for burnout the right way. I created a set of rituals for that. And that's why, where it became like really near and dear to my heart. Really good. And with that, let's, let's explore that a bit more. Um, be, before, before we do, did, did you, because the, the, way, the way I've taught about burnout in the past, um, because I experienced it similarly, and I've, I have a long history of, of depression and major depression, both in my personal life and in my family history. And yeah. so, so I, and the way I've just, the way I've thought about burnout is like is like kind of work depression or workplace depression. Like it feels very close to the same thing, but it's kind of the drivers are different. The drivers often for burnout are you know professional drivers in terms of what I'm doing in my day to day. Um, do I feel that I'm doing something of meaning and of value? Do I feel confident in the ability to do it? Um, but the so the, so that's the way I've 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 thought about it, and I've experienced a lot a lot of that. Um, when we talk about say depression or somebody else talking about burnout in a professional context often uh, in my experience people are reluctant 
to speak about it and to talk about it. Did, did you, were you able to, to have those conversations in some of the roles you were in? Um, or did you feel that you, did you feel forced or compelled to kind of keep that under wraps until you were out of that environment? Yeah. Um, I would say it was different at different stages. One of the toughest things is, uh, you know how like no one has hobbies anymore. Um, people don't really like to talk about not working anymore. Like the badge of honor is, Oh man, I'm, I'm working like 90 hour weeks. It's so busy. Things are so busy. And that's almost, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a sticker. Like it's a, it's a pride thing now. Mm. And so, um, being able to say like, man, I'm working too much and I'm really tired. A lot of times you don't have the context for that. And I was fortunate enough to be in organizations like, like Bridgewater that really promoted self-reflection. Um, in the early days of Tout, I burnt out a number of times and I didn't have the courage as a leader to set the context and say, it's okay if you're burning out and you need to slow down. But then I learned that the hard way and then I created an organization that, that made it okay to say, because I was CEO, I, could, I, I was able to set the tone to say, look, if you're burnt out, like you're better off taking a vacation, taking a long weekend, taking an afternoon because, and then coming back because I know that you will do better work. You're, you're creating more bugs than features when you're burnt out or when you're in your 12th hour. Like there's nothing good going on here. And it took me a bit to have the courage to say that for myself and also say that then for my employees and for, for the people that we worked with. And I learned that the hard way. So I, I'd say it's still hard in a lot, like because of the badge of honor is how many hours you work. But I think that that's part of a, the culture you want to set. And I think a lot of CEOs are now t like prioritizing mental health and wellness for their employees because they're starting to realize that it's a long game. There's multiple different directions we, we can go here, but the, the, yeah. the, the, two, the two questions that immediately come to me, and I'll try not to forget these as I, as I ask them, but the, the first one in, in relation to, you, you mentioned about different companies and big companies now taking mental health seriously. Um, have, have you, because when I, when I look and it's close to me in Dublin, Ireland, there's like, you know, the European headquarters of all the big companies in the world are here and there's lots of, lots of big corporates. It's, I, I've, seen, I've seen so many people who work in companies, uh, big companies, that, that are really de-energized and, and detached from the meaning of, of their work. Um, do, do you see that changing? For the, the, do, you, do, you, do you see that, that they're actually taking this seriously, the well-being of their, of their staff? Um, or is there any kind of danger that, 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 that there's a little bit of lip service going on? Yeah. I actually have a, a maybe un, unpopular or contrarian opinion on this. Hmm. I think the fact that the company is responsible for the wellness of their employees is where the, the flaw in thinking is. I would yeah. argue you are. Like this is the key thing, like figuring out how you can actually take care of yourself and manage your health and your wellness and manage for burnout is your job and the company should not even be part of that equation. That's what I would argue for. And I think that's contrarian and I think that may be unpopular, but like, what does the company even know? Like how will they, like how, what can they possibly do? They're just trying to earn a dollar and pay you on time every two weeks, you know, and, and a lot, there's a lot of companies that can barely do that. 
So hmm. it's like, and now I got to think about your mental wealth, uh, mental wellness. I'm like, and they're like, okay, fine. It, like, and yeah, it is lip service, but also realistically, how much can they possibly do? Now, it's a different thing if you're like, hey, I'm taking my planned time off, which I'm allowed, or I'm taking my holiday. And Europe is so much better about holidays than the than US is. Hmm. Um, and if they're like, oh, that's terrible. You should not take your planned time. Like, okay, now you're kind of, being bad. But I think that we have to get back to self-reliance on, look, there's no mom and dad. There's no manager. They're not responsible for you, you resting up. You are. So create a design around that and own it. And then when you're at work, go dominate. And so that when you take that day off, they're, they're, they, are, they really miss your presence. And when you're back, they're like, thank God you're back. Like, that's what you want. Um, that's how I think about it. I, I, I think that's, that's entirely valid and I wouldn't disagree with it, with any of it. And um, the only thing I would I'd probably add is the, and I think you, you touched on it is, is the, that, that the company have, uh, have systems in place, uh, for you to have those conversations and, and when you bring them out, I, I to totally get it. Like, you know, nobody's mind readers, um, mid middle <laughs> managers and, and senior managers have a million things in their minds. Um, and I, and, and so it is, so it is a, it is something that I think that encouraging people to like a, a full transparency and honesty is something that has helped me in my journey. And I think yeah. that the more, the more uh, honest and transparent people can be. And once that is, once that is reciprocated, um, I think that's, that's the recipe for, for success, I guess. In, in terms of burnout, you do have some, I know you have some developed strategies in place to, to manage it. Um, could you talk, talk about that, about what, what you proactively do to yeah. avoid or reduce the impact of, of burnout in your life? Yeah, I have a very simple mantra that I teach people. Um, it's you got to train like an athlete, win like an athlete, and celebrate like an athlete. Um, and the, it, it all comes from treat yourself like a star athlete. And so, you know, we watch athletes on TV and we see them play the game and they will go crazy for 90 minutes or well, however long, whichever game it is, right? Um, in Europe, you've got football, which can go for way longer. And, but that's all you see. It's just like, that's the part that you see. Mm -hmm. What you don't see is that athlete training to be able to perform at that level. And what you don't see is that athlete taking downtime to recover so they can go train again, so they can go celebrate their win, so they can learn and watch their game day footage and then go train again and they can win again. We only see the winning part. And I think that subconsciously we're taught like, oh, you just gotta keep on, like that guy just like crushed it for 200 minutes. You gotta just keep going all the time. What you forget is you have to celebrate the wins big or small and you have to train in order to perform at that level. And when you start to treat yourself like an athlete, two other things aside from working start to bubble up. And this is how we teach people to manage for burnout. The simple one is celebrate wins, big or small. Everyone can do that. And we're so like, a lot of us, you know, you ever have a goal, how many, like, like, like for my YouTube channel, we had a, a goal of hitting a hundred subscribers when we were starting off. And I was at like 280 and I, forgot to celebrate the hundred. Cause when I hit a hundred, I had already moved the goalpost. Like, I want to get to a thousand. Mm -hmm. 
And we do that in our lives all the time. But what does that do for us? That means like there's no reward system. We're just like, oh, well, let's go on forever. It'll never be enough. But like you got to celebrate that hundred, even if it's small, even if your next goal is a thousand. So we teach people you got to celebrate like an athlete, right? Uh, and then we say you have to train like an athlete. Like to think that an athlete just gets on that game and just performs at that level cold, you'd be like, no, that's dumb. No one does it. It's like, oh, what do they do? Well, they train. How do they train? Well, they practice and they have their downtime and they have their therapy and they have like they have a whole team surrounding them. And so that's when you get into like, well, maybe you should spend 30 minutes just planning out your week. And maybe you should map out on your calendar that every six weeks you're going to take an afternoon off and go recover and maybe read a book so you can do your job better. And all these sound things sound luxurious, but are they like in order for you to perform at the level you need to, so you make more money and you grow, it makes perfect sense that you would need to train. If you don't make time for training, what you're going to just show up at that game and perform like a star athlete. Like, of course not. You look at it as part of the process. So that's how we look at it. We've got to train like an athlete, win like an athlete, and celebrate like an athlete. And a lot of things, including burnout, imposter syndrome, a lot of things we struggle with mentally uh, can come into focus because of that. Yeah, no, that's, that, that's really good. And it's, um, it brings to mind um, one, of my, one of my role models, um, or somebody, he's on my virtual board of directors, um, is, is Tom Brady, the New England Patriots uh, quarterback. Oh, that's and awesome. I, and I, and I know I know that Tom Brady kind of is a kind of a, a love him or hate him figure in the U.S. I think a, a, he he stirs up um, he stirs up strong opinions either way. Um, but I did watch his the Tom versus Time Facebook documentary that was a couple of years back, and it's very very clear to me that he's doing all the you know all the preparation at the at one hundred percent. He's doing the performing at one hundred percent, but he's also doing the 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 post game and the celebrate and the time with family at one hundred percent. So it's it, it's no mystery to me that he's able to carry on into his forties at a, at a at such a high level. So yeah, no, it it, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, on on leadership, and I, I want to get I want to get to the unstoppable because um, I'm fascinated by how you by where this is going and what you're doing. Before before I do, um, you you transition from the kind of the builder developer into leading and lead, leading companies at a, at a at a high level. Um, what would you say that in, when you reflect on that time? What would you say are kind of a couple of non-negotiable components for to be a good leader? Oh, that's a good one. I mean, I'll give you my like my personal ones, and it's probably different for different people. And there's body of knowledge on, on this. For me, um, like you know, you take the situations that were tough leadership situations. Uh, like the, the time I got basically airlifted into Europe and they're like, okay, TK is now in charge of Europe <laughs> and uh, whatever he says goes and you've got, and I'm, I'm this 35, 34 year old kid. I was 34 actually at the time. Uh, thank God I have my beard, which makes me a little bit, look a little bit older than 12 <laughs> and you've got, you know, this, very experienced leaders that now report to me and I'm, and, and you're in there. And, um, and I've been in those kind of situations, like you've got a day to like really establish the relationship and, um, connect and figure out what we're going to do. And I've had a consistent playbook for all kinds of these crazy situations that I've been in countless times. Um, number one, you have to, as a leader, 
you have to be approachable one-on-one. Uh, like, and you got like the whole, like, I am the managing director. Like, uh, it's like, no, like you need, like everyone needs to be able to talk to you. Um, and establishing that. So I always go in and I say, you know what? I'm going to do a one-on-one with as many people as possible. And over time, depending on the size of the company, we'll do groups, but at least top leadership, one-on-one middle level leadership, one-on-one teams I'll do in groups. I have a whole system for it. So that's number one. Um, number two is, um, you have to ask, uh, the best leaders are the ones that they're not the ones that say, here's what we're going to do. They're the ones that say, what do you think we should do? And what's your take on it? Because people then are bought into whatever you're going to come up with. Uh, and then number three is always have a plan. Uh, no one ever freaks out when there's a plan. So no matter how crazy of an endeavor you're going after, no matter how crazy of a goal, if you can point to a plan that everyone like understands, maybe doesn't agree with, but understands and you can logically explain, and you've gone through the process of having one-on-ones and hearing them out and asking their input, you now have a plan and you can look at it and say, here's how we're gonna go execute, are you with me? Those are my three core leadership principles. Um, I'm a big fan of zero-based lists, so if there was a zero on that list, uh, it would be like literally land on the ground and find a good number one, like a right-hand person that like, can easily replace you at a moment's notice. A lot of times leaders are obsessed. I used to be, when I was younger, obsessed about job security. And that's completely flipped on, flipped on its head uh, where one of the best pieces of advice I got was like, hey, there should always be someone that can take over your job at a moment's notice because there's always a bigger job that they'll need you for. And they won't be able to promote you if there's not someone else that can run your current job. And they'll want to do that because you're probably doing a great job. So... Number zero is find a number one. Number one is be approachable. Number two is ask. Number three is always have a plan that you can point to, like physically. And those that. have served me incredibly well through some of the toughest turnarounds I've ever done. No, I, lo- I love that. I love again back to the frameworks. The frameworks work. A framework that works is 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 worth its weight in gold. Yeah. Um, to, to, so so tell me about what you're doing now. You so in, in Unstoppable um, uh, and Unstoppable Sundays. Uh, explain if you can the the genesis of this project and what what it brings to people and how people can get involved with it. Yeah. Um, the the core of the project is we want to help entrepreneurs, startup founders, business builders, executives, like people that have high pressure jobs, high achievers, if you will. Um, we want to help them live more proactive lives. What I found over time was when I ran my life better, my business did better, my career did better. And so often I, I come across people that are like, if my business just starts to do a little bit better, everything else will fall into place. Or my business is crushing it, but I'm in the doghouse at home. And I'm like, well, then you're a year away from your business crashing, guaranteed. And so and something's got to give. And so when you have these high achievers, they're always setting bigger goals, not celebrating the wins. They're burning out. They're struggling to balance their personal lives. And balance is a bad word. I prefer integrate their personal life and um, their uh, professional lives. So Unstoppable is 
there to help you create a strategy for your personal life, much like you would do for a business. And we teach you all the core principles on that. Uh, we have a life strategy guide that helps you go through those steps. We have um, these 45 day challenges that we teach you that helps you focus on a singular goal and really drive it home and prioritize that. Um, and the core of all of it, like I can say, how do you get proactive? How do you do all these things? How do you create a life? Like, how does all this come together? Sounds daunting. It's like, I don't have time for it. It's like, yes, you do. The simplest thing that you can do is spend 30 minutes to plan out your week. And we have a very specific process that helps you do that. And we call that Unstoppable Sundays. What does that look like? And I'm not asking you to give away all the trade secrets um, in, in this interview, <laughs> but what, what, what does that 30, 30 minutes look like? Yeah, yeah, no, I'm not afraid. Like I want as many people to know about it. And you know, so if you, uh, I'll tell you what it is. And if anyone on the audience is interested in trying it, just go to getunstoppable.com and fill out the form and I'll guide you through it. And it's very simple, uh, the 30 minute process, it's 15 minutes and 15 minutes. The first 15, uh, you answer two questions. The first question you answer is where am I? And where am I, there's only one rule to this question is you don't have to solve anything. You're only acknowledging. So, so often we try to do both at once and that's what stresses us out. And you're going into Sunday and you're like, ah, you get this pit in your stomach. And then Monday morning of the Monday dread, so a lot of people call that the Sunday jitters and the Monday dread. And the stats prove it. 80% of people that took a survey on LinkedIn, this was run by LinkedIn, said they get the Sunday jitters. The New York Times just ran an article on it. Uh, between 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. on a Monday morning, you are 10 times more likely to get a heart attack. Wow. So like, it's just like proven this is a thing. So what we teach people to do is first 15 minutes, where am I? What are you feeling? What's bothering you? What are you looking forward to? What are you excited about? And there's a, the rule is you don't have to solve anything. Just acknowledge it. And as you're doing that, again, we as human beings, we jump ahead to next week. And we already forgot what happened last Monday. You could have had an incredible Monday, but by then, I don't know, you're just freaking about tomorrow. So we also say, where, where are you? Like, where were you seven days ago? What, did you, what was good? What was bad? What were some wins? So again, that's that celebrating thing. So we do that 15 minutes. Where am I? Super simple. And then the next 15 is like, all right, what do I do next? Given all the things I've acknowledged, given my, like what I'm feeling, what I'm worried about, what are three things that I want to take on this week that like, given what, like everything I've processed, what are the three things that I, I want to take on in this coming week? And what is the one thing I can do that just is for myself? So we help you write that down. And so that's part of the, what do I do next? And the last piece of what do I do next is uh, we say, okay, great. You've got this list, three things plus one. Now open up your calendar. You come from a place of self-reflection and gratitude and looking ahead and being proactive and you make your list of three things. And we say, okay, take a look at your calendar. Are those three things and that plus one in your calendar? Or are you spending time on a bunch of things that all of a sudden don't seem that important? Did you commit to a set of things that in the grand scheme of things aren't important? Maybe you can say no. Can you block in these three things into your calendar? Because your calendar and your time dictates your priorities. And so that's about 15 minutes. So in that 30 minute period, we teach you how to practice gratitude. We teach you how to pause and reflect. We teach you how to look ahead and set priorities. And we teach you how to actually allocate the time to go accomplish them. 
And then we do it again the next Sunday. And uh, while you're doing this, we're blasting incredible music and we're getting you pumped and we're getting you excited. And, it, and by the time you're done, not only are you feeling more positive and more proactive and more in control, you go into Monday with an unstoppable plan. It's, it sounds, I remember the, 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 the great Jim Rohn and his, his quote about it's, it's simple, simple, but not easy. Uh, if it, if it's, if it's, if it's simple to do, it's simple not to do. Um, but, but yeah, it, so t- tell me a little bit about like some of the results that people have been experiencing with this uh, when, they, when they implement this. And, and is, it, is it an immediate uh, payback or is this something that kind of really compounds over time? Both. Um, so we have started to survey our, the people that go through the program. Uh, so there's two layers to it. There's a free version. You can just go to getunstoppable.com. You get the live strategy guide. You get a guide on how to do these challenges. And we also get the 30-minute video that teaches you how to do this. Um, and if you're really committed, then you'll, you'll, you can just do it. It's free. Hmm. Uh, if you want a guiding hand, then we have a program that you can join. And you get invited to a group call that's live. And we onboard you and we help you through the process. And that one drives more commitment. It's kind of like getting the trainer at the gym versus just getting the gym membership. Mm. Um, and so we have probably about 8,000 people that have gone through just the free stuff. Mm. And we survey them every quarter. And the average rating is a 4.7 out of 5. Uh, they give it a 4.7 or 5. 5 being I'm living a way more proactive life and it actually changed the trajectory of my life. Um, and that's how we measure ourselves. Are you being more proactive and we change your trajectory? So you have your status quo and change your trajectory is like you're going in a different direction. Uh, and then we also survey people in the paid program. We just started doing this and you get an immediate benefit. And that's the thing. Like we don't even have to ask people like I'm already feeling better and more focused. I'm getting more done. Like I, I feel pumped and I look forward to this. It's like, you know, you go to the gym for the first time and then you're like, why don't I do this all the time? This feels freaking great. Like, why is this a second thought? Um, so I'm starting to get good feedback. And in the, in the accelerator program, we started to get early reports that they're like, this is my best year ever in terms of making money. We've got, had at least two people say that. We've had others starting to change up their business, the trajectory of their business. Um, and the paid program is only like two months old. And so they're already starting to see those results, but really they're going to start to see the compounding results over a 12 month period It's a 12 month program. So I would say that early on, like we always value feedback and we always survey our people. So very promising. You can get immediate results from it and then it compounds even more over time. And, and is it 100% online right now or do you have any, do you have any um, plans to, to bring people together in a, in a real live event space at some time? Yeah, it's all online right now. Um, we have a YouTube channel. Uh, we have an Instagram account and we have our um, Sunday emails and our class, online class. So that's our community. Uh, my, my dream for this is that I can land in any major city and send an email out and we'll be able to all get together for a hundred person dinner. And you're just surrounded by people that are living proactive lives and doing incredible things. Like that's my dream for this. 
Um, can that turn into a giant unstoppable conference? Maybe that'd be cool. <laughs> but right now, you know, it's such early days. We're just focused on like, how do we help every single person that raises their hand with as much value as possible? And hopefully they tell their friends and the word spreads. Um, I codified all of this into a book. It's called uh, how to punch the Sunday jitters in the face. So uh, it's a, it's an Amazon bestseller across 13 categories internationally. We sold about 3,000 copies so far. Um, and so right now we're just focused on like how do we get the word out and word to spread. And if that goes well and we make a difference in people's lives, and I think they'll automatically self-connect self in the real world, and then we'll amplify that. Um, and it's my hope that it, that's what it becomes. And there's a legion of people globally that are, just spending 30 minutes every Sunday to plan their week. I, I wish you the very, very best with it because it's uh, e even your dream, uh, if I may say so, even your dream of being able to land in any major city and, and meet for a hundred person dinner, as opposed to, you know, you, you want to sell a million copies of a book or you want to have a 5,000 uh, person conference. E even that, that dream speaks to a certain uh, generosity, I think, uh, from you and also the, the value that you place in community uh, above all else, I think. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. I think that's been one of the interesting things I learned in business. If a hundred people are willing to show up for our dinner, like, cause you tweeted at them, uh, everyone's making tons of money <laughs> guaranteed. Uh, like, like those people are making more money because they went through our programs and we're making money because they're going to pay, pay for the value. Um, and so like I've learned that, focus on providing the value first and then the money follows very quickly. Uh, and one of the other things we've done that I'm really excited about is um, uh, we do these live calls on Sundays, right? And it's like, I don't know if you, if you have soul cycle over there or uh, Peloton or orange theory, you know, those like, yeah, yeah. Peloton. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's like that. Like you join this call and there's music blaring and like, like, I run them and I'm like, all right, let's go do this. Like we're going to go, like, people get pumped. It's an event and I look forward to it and people look forward to it. And one of the things we just announced is we are doing a exclusive partnership with three nonprofits and we'll be announcing this soon. And for every person that joins the call, so they're part of a paid program. So we make money on it. Uh, for every person that joins the call, we donate a dollar to the nonprofit. And so if, you know, I want to get to like 10,000 people joining a call. And if 10,000 people join a call, then we're donating $10,000 on that Sunday to a nonprofit that we've selected. And uh, one of the nonprofits that uh, we're, we're coordinating with is Operation Underground Railroad. And it's a bunch of ex-CIA, ex-military guys. And what they do is they put together... SWAT team operations across the globe to ch save children from slavery, from ch child slavery. Wow. Uh, and the stat they talk about is every 30 seconds, a child is sold into slavery. Every 30 wow. seconds. Wow. So you think about how, long, how many 30 second increments you and I have been talking, like that's yeah. the craziness of it. They did the math, roughly costs $3,500 um, to save one child. Like when they think about the cost of a sting operation and how that's $3,500. I'm like, we get 10,000 people and we donate $10,000 on a Sunday. That's a little over two children that we're helping save on one Sunday. And that can compound over time. And if anyone else wants to donate, they can match it. 
Um, and so I've learned that number one, in, like in your business, focus on value. Number two, tie in some sort of giving into the business model and then things honestly take care of itself from there because when you're giving value, people will, people will also pay for that value. It's, it becomes natural. I think there's a huge appetite uh, right now for uh, in, in business all around the world, like, you know, right across the globe, there's a huge appetite for uh, a reconnection with, with meaning and with, with purpose. Um, do, 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 you, do you sense this? Do you sense um, you've seen things from, you know, startup, corporate, this, this new venture, that, the Unstoppable that you're building now. Um, so you're meeting people and you're seeing people uh, every day of the week, I assume you're seeing different people at different stages. Do, do, you, do you sense the exposure to um, burnout, the, to overwhelm that, that people are experiencing all over the world? I, uh, absolutely. I, it's, a, it, it's definitely at an all-time high. But, uh, but I think that these are symptoms of something deeper. The closest that I've, and I'm still trying to understand it, I created this because I felt it and other people resonated. And so I went for it. Um, the deeper thing, and I'm still trying to understand is I think people are lonely and I think people uh, lack community. And, and so when you look at stats like religion, you know, like Sunday church or whatever your faith is uh, like Friday, Saturday, when it, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, whenever you're going, not as many people do that anymore. And that's where people really got their belief and they got their community and they got their sense of meaning and belonging and fulfillment. Um, and instead we're like connected, but everyone's connected to everyone and therefore no one is connected. Yeah. And that, that makes people lonely and sad. And because they get lonely and sad, then they get into uh, burnout and they get into all these other things. Um, and so that is the core of it. I think people just want to belong. And that's why I think like this, these fitness classes are really huge um, in a way. And that, that's why people look to their companies for their culture and their value structures and their beliefs. Cause they're like, well, I need to belong to something that defines or tells me what my belief structure is before that used to be religion. And now it's companies. That's what companies are also like, well, I guess we got to think about wellness. It's like, no, you know, like, and so I think that's the core thing. That's my current thesis. Um, and I think that's the thing that we have to collectively address for ourselves and for this next generation. Yeah. Have you, have you read, have you come across Johan Hari, his book, Lost Connections? No, that sounds um, awesome. That sounds like a book I want to read. Highly recommend it. It's a, I'm reading it right now. Um, I've heard him give interviews on various, like Joe Rogan and various places. Um, he's, a, he's a British journalist, uh, but he's written, the, the book is about, uh, I think the subtitle is Why, Why You're Depressed and, and How to Find Hope. Um, and it's just about all the, 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 the onset of depression and anxiety globally and the, some of the reasons for that. And it, it speaks to a lot of what you've just said in terms of um, meaning and connection and values that people are missing uh, compared to what we might have been you know, 10, 20, 50 years ago. Yeah. Um, the, the, the last, I want to be respectful of your time, but the last couple of questions, if I, if I may. Um, first on you you've you've been the builder developer you've been working at a high level in corporate environment and now you've i think it's fair to say this is a this is a personal development professional development um project that you're that unstoppable um is to help people and entrepreneurs to to live more proactive personal lives um which does this one give you it 
I'm, I'm sensing the passion for, for, for what you're doing now. Is it any more uh, than, the, than the passion you would have had for your previous careers? When I was doing tout, I was just as passionate about it. Uh, when I was doing Marketo, I was just as passionate about it. Um, what I'm doing now, like, like the, the vision for this is uh, we help people live we help entrepreneurs, star founders, business owners, leaders lead better lives. Once we help them lead better lives, we want to help them build better businesses. And then once we help them build better businesses, we want to uh, actually invest in them. And so I look at this as TK life business capital. Um, and we help them and all of this helps them become unstoppable in their life and business. And this one is special to me because I'm, I'm not more passionate or less passionate than the other ones, but everything I've ever done oddly culminates in this. Mm. And I think this could easily become my life's work. And that's the thing that really excites me. I sense that. And I, and I wish you the very, very best with it. I'll be following from afar. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll keep, be keeping tabs on where TK, TK Cater goes with, uh, with, with the unstoppable journey. Um, f- final, final question. And be, before, before I ask it, actually, I'll give you an opportunity just to, if, if people want to find out more about you, about your work and how, how they might get involved, um, where can they go? Uh, just go to getunstoppable.com. When you go there, uh, we'll help you practice and plan your week on a Sunday. If you are interested in building a life strategy, uh, you want to kind of get more proactive about life, get clarity in your goals. You want to do it without some crazy complicated thing. It's like simple process. Uh, go to getunstoppable.com slash life dash strategy. Uh, super simple. And if you want to, if you're more of a reader, uh, go to getunstoppable.com slash book and it'll take you to our Amazon page for uh, my best-selling book, How to Punch the Sunday Jitters in the Face. W- wonderful. Nicely done. Um, so the last question, I, I, I believe happiness is a word that I've, I've that was my TEDx talk. Um, it, it's something that I've kind of built into everything I do uh, in, in all aspects of life. And I like the fact that you, don't, that you avoid the word balance and prefer integration. I, I have a problem with, with the work-life balance um, methodology yeah. also. Um, but in, in terms of, of happiness, I, I, I believe it's the driver of almost every decision we make. And I believe that as societies and as cultures, we're, we're defining it wrong. We're seeing it as something to be pursued rather than something to be embraced in the moment. Um, but do, do you think about happiness? And if you do, what, what would you say your definition of happiness is? Yeah. Um, I think the thing is, uh, happiness got real messed up over time. And instead of a feeling, it became an event. Uh, you know what I mean? Like no one ever feels happy anymore. They're like, when these things happen, then that event is me happy. And then you go back to like all the other crap you have to do. Um, so I think we're screwed on happiness in my opinion. Uh, because no one knows how to feel happy anymore. They're just chasing the event in which that they will be labeled happy. And then they're freaking out about whatever they need to go do next and they've moved the goalpost. And um, so this past weekend I was spending uh, time with my girlfriend in New York and 
I like, I, the feeling that I felt and continue to feel and I felt in a while for a while is blissful. And I think blissful hasn't been ruined yet. And blissful is a feeling. It's not an event. It's a feeling and you can feel that and you can choose to feel blissful whenever you want, just by like snapping your fingers, just by recognizing like all, like there's no expectation with blissful. And, um, and, and, and I think that's what I love. And I think that's what happiness used to be. Happiness was just like, Hey, I'm living, I'm breathing. I've got a roof over my head. I'm eating. Like I'm with, like I'm happy. But now happiness is like, I got to do all these things and then I'll be happy. And it's an event. And therefore I like, I like blissfulness. Blissfulness is just this, like this ease, this thing of like knowing that the journey you're on is the one that will through twists and turns and ups and downs maybe, and hopefully not that many downs and lots of ups will take you to an even greater point. But the journey in getting there just feels good. And the people you're with feels good. And it doesn't have to be hard. It can be easy and it can come to you and the things that you want will show their way and opportunities will uncover and you will just blissfully go through it. And there's no event to drive for. They're just small wins and big wins, small wins and big wins. And you're blissfully going through it. And that's a feeling that I love and I want more of and I want to feel all the time. TK Cater, um, I really appreciate everything. The, the, appreciate your time today and I wish you uh, a happy and a blissful life. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Shane. I really appreciated the really thoughtful questions you had and this was awesome and hopefully your audience gets value from it. Shane here again, really quick word before I let you go. Thank you, first of all, so much for listening all the way to the end. Um, I hope you got something out of this podcast. Uh, I really enjoyed talking to TK. I think he has so much to offer and I've been paying attention to him online and I encourage you to do that too, to go to the websites that he mentioned earlier on. Um, if you want to get any of the other episodes of the Life Where I Live podcast, this was episode number 21. The previous 20 are all available on my website at shanebreslin.com. And you'll also find them at all the typical podcast places. You'll find them on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, on Stitcher, on Spotify. You should find the Life Well Live podcast in all of those places. If you would also like to receive an email from me every Saturday morning, I, I write an email. I've been doing it for the last two years. And it goes out to an email list. It goes out to an audience every Saturday morning on the topics of life fulfillment happiness energy purpose all the all of those good things that are important that we spoke about in this podcast that goes out every saturday morning if you want to sign up for that totally free again to the website shanebreslin.com there's a link at the top of the page click sign up and you can just enter your details there to get that email in your inbox every saturday morning 